0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Black Collective podcast as part of the REACH network here at Ipsos UK. My name is Barbara and I'm your host for today. In this episode, we're continuing with our discussion on the diaspora and cultural disconnect. Uh, In part one, our panel shared their personal stories and identified characteristics of disconnection in the diaspora experience. If you missed part one, please check it out on Spotify. In part two, we're going to explore the social impact of the disconnect and how to bridge the gap uh, from our guests' perspective. But before we delve into the topic, uh once again, we're going to start with the introductions. So once again, I'll kick off. My name is Barbara. I work in customer experience, uh, in Insights, and I was born and bred in Zimbabwe. Um, I've been living in this country for nearly 20 years.
1: And Sorry. I am Deka Jarma. I'm a semiotics consultant in our advisory side of the business. And yeah, very much diaspora. British, living for half my life, born in Denmark, from several places in East Africa. Mm-hmm. And that'll be me. Over to you, Aaron.
2: Hi, I'm Aaron. I'm part of the uh, strategy consultancy team here at Ipsos. And I'm yeah, born and bred in the UK, but of uh, Jewish heritage. Uh, both my parents are also Jewish heritage. So, yeah, pretty excited to be here.
3: And I'm Anu. I am also part of CX um, within the Insights team. and. I was also born and raised
0: in the UK. When we started talking about this uh, s- subject, we started by defining what diaspora means. And we uh, talked about how it implies um, uh, the scattering and dispersion, a, a separation, if you like, from a group or community. Um, so, Do we experience a disconnect? Do you have any examples?
1: I think it's very difficult to not be disconnected when you're from more than one place. And I think it's always going to be hard to navigate where you belong to most. We're not 50-50 anything, even when we take out nationality and heritage, just womanhood and race or anything else. Like there's Mm. always, you can't be half of something it's situational so there are certain situations where i might be more connected to my ethnicity than where i'm where i live and there are other times where i do feel more connected to where i live rather than where i'm from ethnically oh that's interesting o-
0: would you like to elaborate a little bit
1: in terms of that? i guess i guess language would be one where i'm probably mm-hmm. slightly more connected to where i am because even though i speak native several in several languages I use English the most. That is the one that comes out the most. So it's it's a struggle to kind of turn it back when I go back home, for example. Mm. And equally, when I come back, it takes a minute to not put in ethnic words <laughs> when I come back. So and again, um, in times where I'm more connected to the motherland, I mean, racism, period, <laughs> just all of that. So yeah. I guess, yeah, it's it's very situational for me.
0: Yeah, it is interesting how sometimes I find myself um, wanting to illustrate or, or explain something and then a Shona word comes out <laughs> instead of an English word. And then I have to remind myself that no, the people around me cannot understand <laughs> what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, sorry, Anu, you
3: wanted to say something. No, it, it's interesting how we've kind of touched on language because I can't speak a word. Well, I can, but... It's not fluent and people, are, what did you say? <laughs> when I, I was speaking, uh, you didn't say that properly. You know, I get corrected. Even though I understand the language, I can't speak um, Yoruba by the way. I can't speak fluently or pronounce words properly. Um, so I'll say that's where I experienced the biggest disconnect um, because you always get teased like, oh, uh, you're British, you're not, <laughs> you're not Nigeria, um, yeah, always enough. get teased. Yeah, (laughs) always get teased.
0: I find that when um, so I speak the language, um, Shona, uh, fluently. um, But what way I find a bit disconnected is because I've lived in this country for so long. um, The language or the slang uh, evolves over time. And so when my cousins or my nieces are saying something like in slang half the time. I don't understand what they're talking about. Um, yeah. So I, 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 feel that disconnect in that sense where I can't join in or, or I will say something that is so outdated and they'll, they'll just laugh.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, Aaron, Aaron, what's your, what's your Hebrew saying? <laughs> oh yeah.
2: I think the language thing is quite interesting because I've I've always described the fact that I can read Hebrew, but phonetically, but not understand it, as probably the most useless skill that I have. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I think from from a personal perspective, um, I feel quite a strong connection with with the UK, with with Britishness. I probably would put my Britishness before um, my Judaism and my Judaism in terms of an as an ethnic identity, but that is very much a personal thing and and varies massively between, I'd say, Jews within the UK of where they would describe themselves as British Jews or um, you know, Jews who happen, to be Brit- who happen to be based in the UK. Absolutely, and I
1: think this is a good time to say we don't speak for all Jewish people and black people in this space. We are <laughs> yeah. coming from our own experiences and That's how it. we see and perceive the world around us.
0: Yeah, so you mentioned um, stereotypes or it's come up in the discussion. Uh, what are the common examples of stereotypes that you have experienced or I dare say
1: subjected others to? <laughs> um, we could start with the very obvious talking whites. Ah. So um, I've I've often been told that I sound like a white girl and it can be quite damaging because it says Essentially, that speaking with, I guess, proper words and putting your words together in a proper way is white centric. And it makes it as though speaking properly can only come from white people. It's interesting because this doesn't just come from white people. It comes from black people, too. And yes. it just shows when when these stereotypes can be so ingrained in us. And it's the same with gender, like misogyny can be ingrained in women too. And the same way with race, it can be very ingrained in ourselves. And when we take on these structural thinkings and these structural concepts that essentially are born from white supremacy, um, that's when we end up with very racist stereotypes. Um, I have a question. Um, I have a question for you, Aaron which is, um, when it comes to stereotypes around Jewishness, do you think and that those who aren't visually presenting as Jewish are perceived by non-Jewish people as being less Jewish? And is there stereotypes around that?
2: I think if you are dressed in a more traditional form, probably expressing any type of religion, you're probably going to be... More likely to be targeted at more of uh, more um, overt attacks, where that's um, anti-Islam, uh, anti-Semitism, uh, and I do think there is definitely an element of if you are dressed in a more stereotypical way in terms of like live, let's say more, let's say look how I you know present myself, um, you probably wouldn't be able to tell straight away um, that I was necessarily of Jewish faith, and I think yes, you definitely have an element of kind of going. Uh, under the radar in terms of uh, how people treat you and and potentially some of the kind of negative uh, ways that people would kind of address you um, and stereotype you. Uh, And I think, yeah, in particular being, you know, a white as well, um, being that particular thing with Judaism, where there is that idea that you kind of kind of blend in and blend out. Um, So, yeah, so definitely, I think uh, it's fair to say that the more that you conform, And how you dress um, and how you look, the less of an obvious target you are for discrimination.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think the thing that underpins that stereotype, which is quite difficult to navigate when it comes to Jewish people, is the conditional whiteness of of being Jewish. Because often a lot of Jewish people do look white, but I guess the white card can be (laughs) revoked from them at any point by the dominant white, quote unquote. I think as well like that that's like a really good note to like just look at like blackness in terms of politics um because that is another stereotype um that when we're in the diaspora we're all assumed to hold the same political opinion and so like the idea of being politically black and the idea of just being black and political are very different and often that nuance isn't really cleared up and like we see that with people like Kwasi kuateng and like whenever they don't adhere to what being politically black means as, mm. as values and when we look at what being politically ba- black is as a value it's really about that larger shared diaspora community-based values um, drive driven political views and yeah that's very different from just being black and political because that's just someone who has political views and happens to be black and I think it's very important to note that just because we're from the diaspora just because we're black we, sh- we don't I mean, not everybody agrees with each other. We don't all come from the same experiences. We're going to have Tories. We're going to have leftists. We're going to have all sorts.
0: Mm. I was born and raised in Zimbabwe. And um, there are certain things that, like, at a certain age, you are expected to be able to do certain things like chores or whatever. Maybe family or relatives come to, to visit and they see our children being raised in this country. but. We are not like raising them in the same way, because obviously they're in a different environment. And so they
1: see. Do you mean that they're seeing your parenting as uncultured, even though as it's not? Is as, as uh,
0: yeah no? Or just concluding that uh, the children are less cultured because of the way. I don't know. Maybe we need to cut
3: this, that, all of this out. That, <laughs> that, that, no, that was the point I was trying to get to when I was speaking. Yeah. So it's weird how us looking out, so British people looking out or into the way um, we behave, act, talk, speak, eat in places we refer to as home or spaces we refer oh. to as home, we can sometimes view ourselves as more cultured. <laughs> and then... The other way around, they look at us as uncultured. Oh, you know, they've forgotten where they've come from. Mm. Um, They've forgotten their values. Mm. Um, They've left all of that behind. Um, And Funny enough, um, when I was out last week, Sunday, someone was mentioning how it's important to teach your kids the language from where you're from because that's the thing that ultimately ties them to their ethnicity and how it's very sad because I know my children it's very likely they will not speak your or even understand it because I won't be able to speak it to Mm. them properly um and so it's that generation is cut off basically Mm. so yeah I I get what you're what you're saying um Barbara and I I think it's definitely a real experience
1: yeah I, I get it now and like in my in my language we have a word for that um and like the you call people, which is Dagan Ellis, and Dagan Ellis means return to culture. And right. so the idea is like a person is a Dagan Ellis. It can be a noun, but it's also a thing that you do go back, mm. either whether you're sending your children or whether you go mm. as an adult, or whether you go as a family to go back home and be recultured. And Aaron, I think there's this similar stuff in the Jewish community as well with birthright trips and stuff like that, which is like the way I see it geared towards the same kind of trajectory
2: Mm. yeah it's interesting because it's very easy to conflate Judaism with Israel and and trying to like balance the two is quite interesting because you know from a perspective of growing up you know there's a, a pressure within my family to like teach me the ways of Judaism so I can continue like Jewish traditions in terms of religious sense in terms of a cultural sense and part of that is by having, well, connection with Israel. So as you mentioned, there are things like birthright trips. So if you're Jewish and you haven't been to Israel by the time you're 18, you get to go. A lot of uh, Jewish people who live in the diaspora at the age of 16 will go on like a teenager trip uh, with part of youth movements. They'll go to Israel. Um, And again, so by doing that, by going to Israel, you're building a connection with Israel, the country, and also with your own Judaism. So obviously there's a massive interlink between you know, your Judaism, your religion, your ethnicity, identity, and the country of Israel, but also they're not the same. So um, it, it, that's kind of an, an interesting thing to cover. But, but definitely there is um, pushes to kind of evolve your understanding of the ethnicity and then that by association through the country of Israel as well.
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely very complex because, I mean, I don't know of any other culture that's an ethno kind of faith. That where they're so closely linked, like it's almost it's really difficult to to take apart which part is the nationality, which part is is
2: the thing. Yeah, yeah. What's the what's the religious beliefs? What's the ethnicity? And then you've also got this country, which I do have an affiliation and affinity for, which we're describing as you know, for the purpose of this, I'm the diaspora from that country, but none of my parents were born in that country. You know, that country's only existed in its conventional sense since 1948. Um, and none of my, you know, my grandparents are from Germany, right? They're not from, they're not from this, you know, this original homeland that we're talking. Um, but there is still a connection there and the Jewish diaspora is in relation to Israel. So you've got a diaspora based on a country, which is not like your parents and grandparents, but you're gonna have to go back to maybe the Roman era, (laughs) eventually (laughs) coming out from that.
0: I was just wondering, this is a question for Anu, when, uh, maybe elderly relatives have come to visit maybe from Nigeria or wherever have you had these kind of stereotypes like spoken or or even
3: yeah I think that just goes back to my point of what I was saying myself looking um mm. outwards would mm. think oh, that's old that's they're too stuck in their ways. That's traditional. They need to move more towards, you know, the modern day, um, modern day thinking, or them looking at me could say, you know, she's totally abandoned where she's um come from. Because I've had people people so I think the stereo this, we also see stereotypes here as well because they assume that um I would be unmannered. Um, no yeah. I would have no manners, um, I would be rude, I wouldn't respect elderly
0: yeah um, lazy <laughs> lazy that's another one um, not hard working not, not serious working. about education yeah but the um, interesting thing is
3: uh so, sorry go on i was i was just going to tie back to when um deca was speaking about politics and political identities and views and how just because we may all be black white whatever we some t- were just grouped as um oh yeah they'll think this way almost predictable. Deca, I believe you were mentioning earlier about how, you know, we, we see we see this a lot when elections are coming up about how this candidate has definitely secured the black vote. But what does that mean?
1: That, what does that, that mean? That's it? And that, that's a an high to that diaspora this, yeah. united kind of yeah. values, mm. but we don't all share that. And like, I think there's something to be said about Nigeria being more advanced economically than a lot of African countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh therefore a lot more access to education a lot more access to not becoming diaspora but leaving the country to study and come back to serve the country more than i've seen anyways with a lot of other african countries and when that happens because they don't have that element of i mean when you're in nigeria you're not black you're just nigerian right you're just there is no i am black you're just nigerian mm-hmm. um you might be igbo you might be yoruba you might be whatever but like you're not, there's blackness isn't really a real concept when we're in Africa. So there's more leeway to kind of, when you have that kind of economic ability to kind of cement yourselves in different spaces, people can be, you know, Tories, left-wingers. I mean, obviously these are English kind of conceptions, but politically speaking have different opinions and that not be a thing that has to be shared because of some hunger, because of some like, shared thing that needs to be organized around i guess liberation there is there there's a, a lot less of that in nigeria i'd say than a lot of other countries and so a lot more freedom when they're in the diaspora I mean, most, most black Tories that I've seen were probably Nigerian. (laughs) And I think that might have something to do with that kind of economic advancement and the ability to be able to develop different views and opposing views and have that, I guess, melting pot within Nigeria to begin with. And I think, though, like on that note, when it comes to stereotypes, just to kind of tie that up. It's interesting that like the negative stereotypes are the ones that kind of prevail because Mm. there's one interesting Interesting. one about Nigeria, which is specifically about Igbo boys, uh, wherever they are in the diaspora, tend to be more intelligent than most of their peers. And nobody, nobody knows why. There's no real why to this. Somebody needs to investigate. Is it actually a a thing? It's a thing. It's a thing. Like as it's recorded a thing, but nobody has the why behind it. Right. And like there's no like economic correlation, like it's just, it's a thing that we've noticed but not enough research to ascertain the why.
0: So I suppose by um, identifying and acknowledging these common uh, stereotypes associated with diaspora individuals, um, as again, researchers, we can approach our work with a more nuanced and informed perspective. And um, this can help build trust with our clients and ensure that uh, our work is inclusive and reflective of the communities we are studying because we do study all communities. We are Ipsos. We we study all communities. So um, yeah, in recognizing and addressing those uh, stereotypes and future projects can help us ensure that we are not perpetuating harmful biases in our research and insight. By taking such steps like to be uh, to actively combat the stereotypes and ensure uh, inclusivity in our work, we can actually set strong foundation for future projects with uh, with clients from diverse backgrounds and other markets as well. Right, so what can we do to bridge the gap? Do we want to bridge the gap? Is it possible to do it? What is the gap? (laughs) What (laughs) is the gap? (laughs) Maybe we need to start with what is the gap?
3: Yeah, I was gonna say, it's very hard to define the gap because Mm. I think it's a personal experience. Yeah. um, It's very personal um, and the diaspora and the disconnect manifest itself in different ways for different people As, yeah I think you've summed it up perfectly Barbara I think the gap is just disconnect in every pl- in every space or place that you find yourself in and I think we need to move away from believing ignorance is bliss and that oh yeah we're just a very diverse um country uh, filled with uh mm. people from multiple um backgrounds various backgrounds and understand that we need to delve into those differences and realize that we need to accommodate, not even accommodate. It's not accommodate. It should just be the norm. It should just be standard to make sure everybody's welcome. I believe in the last episode, we, we touched upon um, names and the way they're pronounced. Um, mm. And I think a good example of bridging the gap um, was when I was in secondary school, um, a teacher of mine, had to I think it was an open day or something where the new intake were coming in what is it called an induction yeah an induction induction day yeah were coming in and um he was he was given the role of calling out names for he was given the role um to call out Various names or a list—I don't know—and um, yeah. he noticed that there were quite a few Nigerian names that he wouldn't be able to pronounce. So he called myself and a friend of mine who was also Nigerian. and Said, um, "Could I just grab fifteen minutes of your time? And if you could just h- show me or um, teach me how to pronounce these names, so that one he doesn't make a fool of himself, but also yeah. it's not nice to
0: yeah
3: <laughs> to hear a com- mix, a complete remixed version of your name." Um, yeah. And I thought that was really nice of him. And it's not hard to do, um, exactly. you know. And again, just moving away from ignorance is
1: is bliss. It's not always bliss. It's bliss for the person who it doesn't affect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's true, that's I true. Think,
0: yeah, I feel like having,
2: co- having like, conversations with people from different backgrounds, from new different experiences can go so much to um, understanding how you can bridge the gap with Ford de- and how people like their different perceptions, the the amount of proverbial water cooler conversations I have with Decca, where we share our different experiences and she and that the amount of empathy that she must have gained from things that I go through and the empathy that I've gained from her has been massive. You know, recommending each other books. I remember we came in that day and it was like. You just finished Jews Don't Count by Dave Padil. I think I just read Natives by Carla, and we were like sharing crib notes of like interesting things that we uh, had learned from them and how uh, and you know what that means for us moving forward and how we'll kind of view different situations. So, um, any curiosity that you can have and any conversations you can have with people that uh, come from different backgrounds, so it goes a massive way to bridging the gap. And Ipsos yeah. does actually a really good job with this thing, you know, versus other places. Yeah. And I'm not normally one to shout up for no reason. But um, you know, <laughs> like when we had the the authority gap talk with 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 Kelly and uh, the last Reach talk that I went to that De- De- Decker hosted oh, as yeah. well. Um, oh
0: yes, I was there. It was re- it was brilliant. If anyone hasn't watched it, please check it out. It's brilliant. Yeah. Um what yes Adam I, just said was think... perfect yes.
1: <laughs> and, and I think that's much, I get like the it. nugget I, I really do think that's the nugget like how do we bridge the gap really is understanding from what all three of you have said yeah. and it really is about also understanding like the intersections of our identities like the diaspora mm. experience is so much more complex than just I am black British or I am whatever right mm. and it's it's usually several cultures coming together usually three or yeah. more coming together mm. and Because uh, something that you said, Anu, which was like, everyone's experience is different. Like my blackness is different because I've lived in Denmark. My blackness is different from someone who's even from my ethnicity and is a third culture kid in this country. Other Nigerians who have had other experiences would have entirely different intersections of identity to you, Anu. And same, same with the two of you. And... I think that's what it is like understanding that not all diaspora experiences are yep. the same, and they're very much shaped by where we've been and where our parents have been in the world. Yeah, exactly. you can't
3: you can't just look at one person and think they're going to give you the answer to mm. that entire community's experience. And I think that's something that is still yet yeah, to be the
0: definition of ignorance uncovered and solved. I think what for me, what uh, bridging the gap stems from building relationships and not just um, and being very intentional about it as well mm-hmm. and so like for example if i want to know um about aaron and his culture i need to have those water cooler conversations with him and you know actually take an interest in what he is saying as opposed to just having a like an abstract view And start communicating that as fact uh, because that is not, that is just not um, how to build those relationships. And the way we, by building relationships, we get to be, uh, we we get to empathize with one another. And we get to, I think, um, understand that. We don't have to look the same. We don't have to sound the same. We we are diverse. We are different. And that is a good thing. That is something to be celebrated rather than shunned upon.
1: Absolutely. And I think like intersections is especially being diaspora is so much more than just just ethnicity as well. Like it's Ramadan mm. now and I'm Muslim. And like, it, it's it's nice, like you were mentioning, I knew someone came to you and like asking how to pronounce the names? My line manager, Monique, she was like, so how do I wish people a nice Ramadan? Like, like how do I say it and what can I, and that, like, that was really nice because it was like, you actually care of how you're saying it. You could have just said it however the hell, however you wanted to, but she chose to, let me just go and sense check that and do it right. And tying that again back to what we do as consultants, as researchers, when working on projects in other markets, it really is important to approach the research and the insights process with that cultural humility and recognise that we don't all have the answers or the insights, but by building relationships of trust and actively seeking out those learnings from our clients as well as our colleagues, We can create more meaningful and impactful research that reflects the perspectives and needs of different communities. And this can lead to stronger client relationships and more successful projects in the future, which is something we all want.
0: Well said, Dekka.
1: And so, like going back to what Annie was saying, I think, yeah, experiences are very, very different um, for different members of the diaspora. There are people who are part of my specific ethnic community who wouldn't share my Muslim values, for example, and At the moment, we're going through times of Ramadan, and I know for other faith communities, there are also very interesting holidays and festivities and observations happening, both for Christians and for Jewish people. So I do think this is a good time to go through Passover and what the diaspora frame of thinking is around that. And yeah, we have our lovely Aaron here who will
2: talk us through that. Thanks, Decker. So, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about Passover. So, Passover is a uh, Jewish festival which tells the story of the Exodus, which is the Jews uh, leaving Egypt. So, the Jewish people were enslaved by uh, Pharaoh, by the Egyptians, um, and Moses, using the Ten Commandments, uh, freed the Jews uh, who then went into the desert and received the Ten Commandments. That is a very, very quick overview. I do recommend that you watch The Prince of Egypt, if you want to get a uh, full version of the uh, of the story of exodus um it but i think so it's so so good um but i think what what's powerful about the story is that um it's all about the jewish people like not being belonged being enslaved in this uh, within within egypt and even though the historical uh, accuracy and uh, reliability of some of the biblical <laughs> stories is uh, is subjective um are definitely real real instances from that you know um jewish expulsion from england in the 13th century spanish inquisition um more recently like 19th century pogroms like jewish history is full of jewish people not feeling wanted um being being victimized um even you know being genocided you know relatively recently and um what what that means from a diaspora perspective is that that narrative probably does it goes a long way to making Jewish people feel less connected to the country that they're in and more connected to Israel, even though again a lot of them, myself included, have not been born in Israel, don't have any like family connection to Israel. So I'd say Passover and those stories and those festivals and um, and and the subsequent historical realities. Go a long way to shaping diaspora identity in terms of, you know, I think Jewish people there's always there's always this idea that you might not be welcome for like that little bit longer, right? You never know when something might take a turn and you have to pack your bags and go, and that's you know based off thousands of years of historical reality. So even though you know it's very easy to look at you know um, now in terms of a more comfortable, comfortable position versus let's say other um the more comfortable position um the reality is that there's always that fear uh, and that comes from Passover so I'd be interested to get your views on kind of your diaspora experience and how how welcome you feel and whether that then pushes you towards what is you know a a homeland if there is a homeland or you know you might Britain is obviously first Britain passes my homeland anyway so I wouldn't actually Mm -hmm. refer to Israel in that way but um yeah
1: I think before we get into that, an important thing to say is as well, there's so many talking of intersections and diaspora identities Mm. being complex. There are so many black Jewish people who also be celebrating Passover. And then that's that extra marginalization of everything that you were saying, Aaron, which is being expelled, (laughs) expelled, expelled, expelled from many different places in Mm. many different times in history. There's also that element of, of. black people even today um people from where I'm from uh Ethiopians who are Jewish uh who travel to Israel to celebrate and I guess observe this this season um who don't feel welcome even in Israel so there's so many there's so many intersections to the diaspora experience. Wow this is a big a
0: big big subject (laughs) and a complex one a complex one we could actually do (laughs) a a proper mini series, like six part series on it <laughs> and still have something to say. No, uh,
3: but I think that goes back to the point of just listening, mm. listening to everyone's story.
1: Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that's why when we talk about Passover as well, I think it's important to remember that being expelled isn't something that's ended. It's, it's, yeah. it's It depends on who it is, where it is, how it is, but it's definitely not not over. And that's like, that makes me think of like the frame of thinking that this all lives in, right? Like oh. whether it's a distant past or a recent past, like these things have an effect. Even if we haven't directly experienced something in particular, yeah. it still carries on and like affects us. Um, yeah. My my friend who's black and Jewish, um, she works at a synagogue where most people are white. Like she's the only black person there. But when people come in, because she doesn't, she doesn't come across Jewish visually. So when she's in there, everyone in there does look visibly Jewish um, in what they wear, in the characteristics of their hair, all sorts. So when the door opens and strangers come in, she sees them visibly freeze in ways that she doesn't. And again, Mm. she probably freezes more outside the synagogue than a lot of them would. So again, that experience is so nuanced and this topic is Mm. so complex and how people experience it.
0: It is, yeah. Our experiences are are so different, and yet these there are intersections. I remember uh, because we were colonized by the British. Uh, Zimbabwe was colonized by by the British. I remember there was a time when there were toilets where there would be for white people and for black people in my country. My sister went to a school where uh, it was an all white, only white people were allowed to go to that school until uh, after about like, um, I think independence, post-independence, but there was still a lot of racism. Uh, so they were, we were, they were actually known as A schools. A schools were for predominantly white people and B schools were for everybody else.
1: You wow know. so even in the AV, there's, there's hierarchy <laughs> exactly
0: and even uh, and i won't even go into the land issue because that's another whole other topic yeah so this is reality
1: <laughs> it is it is and yeah that that really does take us to like recognizing and respecting that diversity of culture and religious Mm -hmm. practices in diaspora really is so, so crucial. And especially when working on research projects that touch on these topics. And if we understand the ways in in which those communities may approach or interpret these practices and even more granular than communities, individuals, we can ensure that our research is culturally responsive and relevant and can lead to more accurate and insightful research outcomes, as well as stronger, stronger client relationships and more opportunities, again, which is something we all want. Yes. And just
3: hanging off to your last words, um, Barbara, when you were saying that this is reality, I think one key thing I'm taking away from today is that just because it's not my reality doesn't mean it's not reality or somebody else's reality. Um, And just remaining open-minded, even though I would place myself as part of the people, communities, ideas that makes for very, diverse nation, my community is, sorry, this is, I don't even know what I'm saying, but my community is also diverse. And just because someone looks like Mm -hmm. me, speaks like, speaks like me, could have a very different, um, day-to-day
1: experience. That's true. That's true. I like that. I like that. Like my key takeaway today, maybe we should all do one, like the, the key, the key thing for our own experience.
2: It's purely just, it's made me more motivated to have more, conversations um with people uh with individuals and understanding that these are such uh emotional um and like powerful driving forces of like what of who individuals are and i think uh, like Annie made the point that you could have two people going through like the same experience and they'll come out of it with completely different perceptions of um yeah. you know what their identity is and where they s- Fit themselves versus homeland diaspora, what they consider homeland versus diaspora. Uh, And yeah, that uh, even amongst my friends with very, very similar life stories, are the way that we would talk about um, our connections to Judaism, Israel, Britain would be entirely different. And that's just within one microcosm, you know. And then if you take into account if I was of of Ethiopian origin, how different would that be? Um, So yeah, so just more conversations. Um, just keep, yeah, just keep being curious and uh, learning more from individuals and their experiences. Love
1: that. Love that. My one, my one's similar, I guess. Um, my one is, I guess for me, I, I find it also important. And I think this is something like me and you, Aaron, be doing with our, with our books, sharing sessions is sometimes it can be quite exhausting to ask somebody questions that you could have just read about. And, oh, cool, <laughs> the thing for, the, yeah, the thing for me is when it comes to things I don't understand and cultures that I don't understand and even intersections of diaspora experiences within my own community, because, I mean, my dad um, was born in Ethiopia. There are so many Ethiopian Jewish people. I don't I don't understand that experience. That's not my experience. Um, there are um, Ethiopian Christians, Orthodox Christians. I don't understand their experience. Um, so, like. Taking the time to do the reading is actually the best way to come into a conversation, not just coming into the conversation, which I think is quite important. That's my, that's my little takeaway. Barbara, what's yours?
0: I think my takeaway is everything that you've said, each of you. Cop out. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, um, just not making assumptions, not making mm. assumptions about people, not um, making an effort to say hey how are you tell me about whatever you know fill in the blanks and getting to know people from that level um building relationships like in cx working customer experience so we are big on you know helping our clients to build relationships with their with their customers and i think we can practice that um even within the workplace um with our colleagues we can we can um i mean it's it's a bit more difficult now with a hybrid uh you know model but those times when we do meet in person let's let's make an effort to get to know one another. Thank you everyone for tuning in for listening to our
1: podcast and that's a wrap for this episode guys thank you so much for tuning in and we hope you've enjoyed the discussion and if you want to have a chat with us around the office and join our cultural cooler conversations feel free to do so and yeah keep an eye out for our next episode and you can reach us on barbara where can they reach us
0: on uk-reach-theblackcollective dot ipsos.com